cricket Dreaming about a premiership cup We love our clubs but they never win Two flags in 100 years That shit house if you think we'll be insightful Clever or just well researched to say that's not the case We'll just go out and wing it We are two guys, one cup Hello and welcome to Two Guys, One Cup Summer Edition My name is Charlie Clawson And this series is my club And this week my guest is photographer Ben Baker Ben's been living in New York the last 20 years And has taken portraits of some of the most powerful And influential people in the world Including the last four presidents of the United States and that seems appropriate because he himself is a power supporter. I absolutely love this chat. Ben is one of the most passionate and articulate and interesting football supporters you could ever listen to. He knows so much about the history of that club and he bleeds, well, I was going to say black and white, but there's a bit of teal in there as well. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here is Ben Baker. Ben, thank you so much uh, for agreeing to do this show. Uh, we should let people know moments before we jumped online, uh, all the power went out in my studio in, a, in an eerie portent of the future, I believe. No, 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 no. Power's going to stay on. You're good. You sound great. Now, Thanks for having me on. You were recommended to me by a mutual friend who uh, is also a port supporter, and I said, look, um, if you had to refer one person to me who is like steeped in Port Adelaide history and tradition, who would it be in your name? was put forward. So Port Adelaide are, are a fascinating team for me because I am an ignorant Victorian and like ignorant Victorians, I only see things through the Melbourne lens. But Port Adelaide are a team who have essentially two histories. One is the South Australian history and then there's the AFL history. So tell me a little bit about the history in South Australia. Sure. Thank you. Um, see, there's the fundamental difference. We don't see it as two histories. We, we just don't, we don't see a difference. Um, we're a club, I mean, we are, we are in terms of victories, the most successful club in the land, obviously that's, you know, very debatable about the competitions. Um, so, so yeah, there, you know, obviously our club's existed since 1870 in, in technically two comps, but it's, it's an incredibly proud club in a really interesting part of the Western suburbs of Adelaide that's um, got a unique history. And so the club has a special place because of that history. Like I'm incredibly proud of being a kid from the port for many reasons. And it's not just the football club. The football club plays a really important part in the community more so than just success on the field. We, we, we have a club creed. I know I drink the Kool-Aid, but you don't have to go roll with it. The, uh, you know, it's our club exists to make our community proud and win premierships. Um, and, you know, we a long way back. We have, had you know legendary people at the club who've instilled real incredible levels of of um, expected success. So you know you talk to someone in Adelaide who doesn't support Adelaide, Port Adelaide, and you're going to get a very different um, answer. But you're going to get respect. They're going to respect us. They might not like us. They may hate us, but they're going to accept that the club operates at a you know really high level and has a pretty amazing history. And so. For a club with such a, a proud and long and successful history, when the licenses were handed out for South Australian teams to enter the AFL and Adelaide were the team that were put forward first, what yeah, was that's pretty complex. There? I mean, you know, people should that history is really, um, I mean, it's a soap opera, it's, it's quite astonishing. And you can look at it from both ways. If you're a person who's a part of another SANFL club, you would call us. Um, that we went behind the backs of the SNFL to, to negotiate our entry into the AFL. Um, and we would say that they were failing their duty to, to maintain a competition and to grow. And we weren't going to go down with it because we're Port Adelaide. Um, basically what happened was, you know, you saw the, I mean, we can, it's a lot, there's a lot there, but effectively the competitions were dying, not money was going. And we saw the writing on the wall. The AFL kept saying the SNFL, we want teams and then they just, they just didn't get their act together. And so Port actually did go behind the backs of the SANFL and, and started negotiating in secret. And uh, that really upset a lot of people. And that's actually really become a soap opera since then and created the division. Port Adelaide has had 
a really hard time on a lot of fronts because of a lot of spite, because a lot of people still are very upset with what we did, but we, we knew that had we not done that, it could be the end of our club and that wasn't going to happen. And so is the uh, acrimony to do with the fact that you were considered to be disloyal to the South Australian Football League? Is that where the... That's, the, the they they, they could say that. That's probably what they would consider. We'd consider that they failed in their duty to, to, to have a competition that was vibrant and strong. I mean, we... I think if you look at the... I think we appeared in something like 70 of the South Australian Grand Finals. I think we, you know, we've only, you know, I think when you appear in, you know, you know, what's that, 50% of it, if, if you're the top team, clearly, I mean, Norwood's a very powerful team too, but we just weren't going to sit back and let it fall apart. It's not going to happen at Port Adelaide. This was never going to happen. So what needed to happen, we believe, had to happen. And a lot of people took a lot of real um, hits um, financially with the health um, and as a club, we're really proud of, of those people who fought really hard to make sure our club not just survived, but prospered. I mean, you know, you're talking to a St Kilda supporter. So hearing you talk about yes. like 70 grand finals and what, 30 plus premierships or something like that. Uh, how has that sort of shaped your view of football? I mean, you're clearly very passionate and you have this deep understanding of the history of Port Adelaide. But you don't seem to take the success for granted. Like you seem to be someone who thinks that that work has come from just like hard grind, right? Well, absolutely, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I am. I know I'm incredibly privileged, so lucky to have grown up. Um, you know, I grew up across the street from the ground, and in my lifetime, you know, it, it's, it's it's unfair, really. It's not fair that I've witnessed that much success. I mean, I've obviously seen the club at some lows. Um, but the reality is even through my childhood when our club was winning premierships, you know, seven out of 10 in SNFL in a decade or something, we didn't have the best individual players on the park. We never did. We just never did. It was actually astonishing. We had, you know, it was one year with the, the, the German boys. There were teams that clearly had more talent than us. And we just had this will. It was astonishing. I mean, there were games we should never have won. There were seasons we, you know, on paper, we shouldn't have, shouldn't have even been in the grand final. But there was this collective kind of pull from history or from, from a really special deep place that got the team over the line. Um, and even now, like some of those kids in that team, I mean, you know, we talk about it in Australia about having the mongrel, but I mean, you know, we obviously want to have the best Polish footballers, but, but, but there's, a, there's something about the, that depth of that history that we pull on all the time, you know, and it's cheap if you don't live it. I mean, those players also, I mean, we, people, a lot of expected of them too. Yeah, it's... There's a, there's a word that often comes up on this show, um, which is culture. And I'm fascinated by, you know, the culture of a club. Do you think it's easy to boil down uh, into a few words what the culture of Port Adelaide is? You've got the creed that, that Foss Williams created. And you can't be boiled down to a couple of words, but like we exist to win. That's why, that's why we show up. I mean, even recently this year, you've had the coach and, you, you know, get criticised for saying we want to win it all. Like, and all the poor people are scratching their heads going, why would you not? Sh That's the only reason for showing up. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, we're very proud of our community, but we're, of course, I mean, I, I wouldn't, we don't show up if we don't expect to win. I mean, obviously we're realistic when we're rebuilding and we have a bad year. Sure. It, that's what it is. But um, I mean, even in, and it's a bit of a departure, but even in seeing what's happened in the last 10 years with players predominantly Melbourne boys or Victorian boys going to play in a, a interstate team. Even when we were not successful, we had a period there of, of you know, some problems. We didn't lose players. And, and a team like Adelaide has had all the money in the world would continually lose these players. And I mean, I've been living abroad. I remember I sat down, I happened to be at this grand final and watching it from a bar in New York and I happened to sit with a bunch of um Actually, the Victorian um, ministers were in town, sports ministers happened to, there was a golf tournament that Melbourne was going to have after New York. And they couldn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand. They had to ask the South Australian what the difference is between the teams. And I'm not trying to have a crack at, at, at Adelaide, but they're a corporation being a football club. We're, we're a football club. You know, I know that take, that's a hit. And I know that's not appreciated by, by people, but we're, we're a football club. Like when those young boys go from, Go, we don't lose players. Like, then the reason why is the minute they walk in that those club rooms, they just 
they see they they see why they should stay. Like Travis Boak and all these players who were courted by Geelong and all these clubs that would have paid top dollar for these kids. They just said, "We're sticking it out because this is this is fan, this is community," you know. So we that's what, when I've been been living in the US. When I've had to explain my club, it's very easy to say oh, I support this football team or that football team, and that's great. But I'm so much more proud of the fact that I can talk about what the club does on a community level, and that feeds into the success of the. Of, 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 of the team on the field. You actually take such great pride in both of those. And so where did this uh, uh, love of Port Adelaide begin? Is it your family or did you pick them yourself? How did it start? It's a good story. Yeah, it's good. So my dad's a kid from Paran. Um, oh, right. Yeah, he's a, he's a Collingwood, you know, diehard Collingwood kid. And he and my mother, so my dad's from Melbourne, mum's from Sydney. And they said, we'll go anywhere the family isn't. And they, they wanted to you know, build their own path. I mean, they're in the 70s, you know, these, these, these hippie uh, social worker, pretty wild, really interesting, both, both parents' careers, incredible. And they happened to find, of course, my dad finds a funny old house across the street from Albert and Oval. And he's, he thinks that's he's a kid from Paran, from, from a Collingwood boy, to be across the ground. You know, he, dad, dad and Kevin Sheedy about the same age, and at one point, there was dad was potentially he was a pretty decent young footballer at CBC St Kilda and around the traps, um, but he couldn't cut it like that. So he was just thrilled. So as a little kid, I mean, I learned to run on Albert and Oval. I mean, I, was your dad drawn to them because they were the Magpies as well? Yeah, absolutely. It really helped. Yeah, black and white. I mean, <laughs> I, I seventy nine, eighty, eighty one. Collingwood used to go to Albert and Oval and do their preseason games. So I remember standing on the hill at Albert and as like a five-year-old or a four-year-old on my dad's shoulders watching this, this, this famous Collingwood football club coming to play us. I mean, we just walked across the street. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, yeah, it's just Albert and Oval is, is, was my, my, my first memories as a kid. It's a park, you know, it's can, not. Can you remember what the Clash, the Clash Guernsey looked like when Collingwood played Port Adelaide back in those days? That's a really good question. I don't remember. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, isn't that just crazy, this conversation? I mean, I think they've just agreed to... I was saying last year to people at the club and people internally, I'm like, look, obviously there's some challenges at Collingwood and, and uh, you know, I hope they'll overcome it. We all need to. That's bigger than us. It's bigger than the, than the corporate uh, competition. Um, but every time Eddie wanted to take that to the... Pre- we can't get on the front page of the newspaper in Melbourne, but Eddie wanted to take us to court over a jumper. I'm like, yeah, let him. I mean... That's free publicity. You can't get better than that. But, you know, it looks like they've agreed on a pretty fair balance. It looks like they've agreed on us for the home showdowns, or both showdowns are home. So, both. so we, we, I think that's a pretty good deal. So growing up, did you have a team in the VF, what was then the VFL and the Sandful, or was it all about the Sandful? Oh, I was happy for Collingwood when they broke the drought. You know, my dad was happy. You know, his memories of his childhood, um, you know, most Collingwood supporters up until 1990 had gone through some pretty – Tough times, um, but you know I also had a soft spot for St Kilda. My grandmother, St Kilda fan too, so so that's an important, you know, and that's also so yeah. So that's probably the two clubs. Yes. So when the the discussion around a South Australian team entered entering the the AFL started, you know, were you wanting Port Adelaide to go in, or were you wanting to sort of keep it uh, stay a, a Sandville fan? Like, where was your head at? Is it because I assume you would have been in your early teens by then, right? I was, you know, I, I, I so I lived in Adelaide and Darwin, so went little kid in Adelaide, got to see 79, 80, 81, the greatest memories, you know, those first childhood memories of sport, like on your dad's shoulders. And, you know, you're standing at the race with those, these, they look like superheroes. Yeah. There's these men and the smell of the denker, like that, that change room smell of the kids, like, what's that smell? And who are these people? And this roar and that, you know, and, and, and the, the stops, the footy stops on the concrete as they run through the crowd. That's just, you know, getting me chills now you know, as a kid. So then I went to Darwin and my first, like, played, I liked to watch footy in Darwin as a kid. That was amazing. Or Wanderers and that sort of competition. Come back to Adelaide and then, you know, back to the home across from the ground. Um, and so that was, that was it in terms of trying to the understanding of going to the AFL, we, we didn't see the difference. We just thought we would, we, we compete in both levels. Um, you know, SNFL was making it almost impossible for the local Port Adelaide club to survive. They, 
they sent us off to less than some average community club in the back of nowhere. I mean, the, what they put our club through, it's astonishing that we're still alive. I mean, you know, financially we went through hell. The Port Adelaide team went through hell. It's just amazing what they said. And even like the team that we got given in our first, the players were given access to. If you look at the deals that were given to all the other clubs that came in, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible that they had success fairly quickly. Mm. I mean, is is it the case of um, before you went across to the AFL, was it mismanagement or was it something a bit more targeted? You know, was there, do you think there was a, an axe to grind against Port Adelaide? You'd been successful for too long or was it just incompetence? That, that, we, that we weren't financially successful well, that the, and, the and San, a local club? That the Sandfall, like that you're saying that they're doing their, their best to kind of like, you know, uh, ruin, the, ruin the competition or derail you. Do you think that was yeah, due to sure. incompetence or do you think that was a, a targeted attack? Oh, no, it was targeted, yeah. Right. I mean, I'm going to make a lot of friends here. <laughs> um, but, but, but that's okay. Look, the SNFL owned the license for both clubs and that's fine. But there were just like, there were just grievances when they would vote. And it would always be like one of the local clubs and it would just be like, why are you making that hard for us? Like just limitations on a social club or we can't be on the same website or we're not allowed to have not allowed to sell merchandise here and we can't do this. And we're like, what? We get it. You're upset. You know, we've made, you know, what are you doing? Like this, it, it seemed, it seemed pointless and petty to us. Um, but there's a history there and you're like a lot of <laughs> big, big moments in families or wars in community, you know, in, in the around the world, it takes time. It really, and it's, it's, it's still going to take time. It's okay. And you're the first guest that I've had on who's sort of gone through a period like a tran- transition almost for another supporter might be like a merger in a sense and that you rebranded, you know, you went from being the Port Adelaide Magpies to being the Port Adelaide Power. And it seems such a kind of superficial change, but was that sort of h- hard for you to adapt to, that you have a new logo, a new Guernsey, there, there is a different kind of branding to your club? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we don't, yeah. I mean, we we like seeing less teal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the teal makes sense in the neighbourhood. You know, it's the wharves. It's, you know, we have, a, you know, ocean, beaches. We've got the, the harbour. We've got the shipping. Um, you know, we didn't, we intentionally didn't pick another animal. You know, there's no other animal there. There's no competition. It's sort of power as a concept. It's, you know, we have, a, we, you know, we have like industrial power fields in the, in the area. You know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think it was really well chosen and the club's, winning song we could work on maybe <laughs> the rest of it i think was it's definitely a um a song of his time you know i think I'd, I'd be happy to bring in some talent i mean yeah hilltop hoods are our fans so maybe they could kick it up a notch or two but, you know it's a it's a really um fascinating thing to come from a, a like to be a victorian supporter where there are rivalries um but we don't we're not in a two-horse town so you know the, uh, the the showdown every year, like this yeah. rivalry between Adelaide and Port Adelaide. I don't think that unless you're in South Australia that we quite get just how deep it is. Can you take me into that rivalry? Like sure. how far does it go back? What are the key elements of that? Are there like specific moments that have ramped it up? It's really interesting. There's actually a really beautiful part of it. I was thinking about it the other day. And it goes to our two of our most important players in the club. The fact that the Corns brothers are such influential figures in the history of our club. Their father, Graham Corns, was the coach of Glenelg, which when we, that whole really challenging time when we, we were going to go into the AFL and the SNFL was upset, and the, we, we beat Glenelg in a grand final and Graham Corns was the coach of the losing team. And he came into our change rooms and basically said, you've destroyed everything for everyone. You can go to hell or something. <laughs> it wasn't, maybe not those words. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get that, that word wrong because I actually respect Grant Corns. We, great player, great coach. Um, great morning DJ. But the fact that, <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's good. I like him. You know, like he's an important figure. I respect, deeply respect. He's a successful person. We put out, you know, we all got to respect people who are successful. Um, and he cares about footy. He really does. And then, you know, his two boys get drafted to our club and, you know, you I mean, Kane Corns clearly, you know, people, it's a love or hate. And then Chad, like, Chad Corns is the toughest. Like, you know, even, I don't know if you saw that preseason 
him and Dixon working out. Yeah. It's like those two beasts and they run around their Harley Davidsons. It's like, they're just such lads, you know, and just, so the Corns boys are out. So, so for us, that kind of, to me, that's a really beautiful thing about the showdown because we can come together. Um, you know, we, res- we do res- obviously respect out a lot. Yeah. But the, the, but the bitterness is real, isn't it? The rivalry and the bitterness is real. I mean, there has been, Absolutely. there has been punch-ons in the car park at the Rams gate, right? Yeah, around around our club, there could be a few. You know, we have a history of uh, of settling things certain ways. We've improved, <laughs> but you know, like you know, there also has been some games in our past where um, you know halftime wasn't looking good, three quarter wasn't looking good, and all of a sudden there's a bit of a dust up, and uh, we're home. You know, um, yeah, we are we are we are the boys from the port. We are the boys from the wall. It's like we we no, we're not running around trying to, you know, and we'd be you know Adelaide. You know, people talk about Adelaide being the Chardonnay set, you know, and where the West End beer. Like, but the thing about Port Adelaide is actually I was talking to some of the guys internally and Port Adelaide actually has a really proud history of people around the world doing, like, interesting things um, on a lot of different areas. But, yeah, we have that history and we, really, we, don't, we don't shy away from that. We embrace that. So we are. Like, you go to a home game. Go, I don't know if you've been to Adelaide. Have you been to the new redeveloped Adelaide Oval? No. Oh, no, I have. Yes, I did. Uh, I saw Port Adelaide and Richmond there two years ago. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're good games right now because those teams play a very similar game. Um, like I went, I, went to, I went to an SCG game. I went to a Friday night Swannies game versus Collingwood. Like Swans-Collingwood, that should be an epic game. Mm. Like I know obviously Swannies having a hard time right now, but and no one was there at three quarters. No one was there at the start of the game. Everyone's standing around drinking. It was a social event. Mm. I'm like... What are you doing? Like this is this is like epic. And the pre there was no pre-game entertainment. There was no it was just no it was just like what's going on? Yeah. And and Port Adelaide does that. I mean, that's why you'll find, I mean, there were people, Stephen Shirley, who was poached from Port Adelaide to go to the AFL because of that pre-game stuff. Where you go to an Adelaide game and they're trying their best, but it just because that you can't make that history up, you know. Adelaide's one more flags than us, and congratulations. But it's it's really night and day the, the difference. Mm. So when they entered the AFL, and you know they were like you said struggling for players or the players that they were being handed out. Was there a player that first stood up in your mind? Is there someone who really sort of uh, became the leader or the the most inspirational spiritual leader of that team first? It's interesting. I mean, obviously um, Darren Mead, whose son was just you know father son at the club. Um, Mead, Laid, obviously getting Wanganeen in yeah. was really important. That was really important for us because there was a talk about Buckley. I think Buckley was like really close to signing because, you know, I, I mean, he played. I, I actually worked behind the bar. I was like a glassy at one of the SNFL finals where I watched Wanganeen win. I watched Buckley win. Like I remember being in the, in the back of the kitchen on grand, after we won the grand final at SNFL and I'm working in the kitchen or on the, I'm on the glasses, you know, the whole team, I'm like squashed up against the wall and the whole team, excuse me, mate, excuse me, mate, the whole, like, you know, Buckley was one of those players. So we were going to have Buckley come in. That would have been huge. Um, you know, Wanganeen, Wanganeen probably. He was probably the most high, high profile, like, you know, Brownlow medalist at Essendon, comes back to his home state. The thing about Gavin Wanganeen too is I think he's such an underrated footballer because he didn't look mm. like a footballer. He was so skillful and he was so good at so many things, but he was kind of pretty too, you know what I mean? He didn't look like, I guess, especially he didn't look like a traditional Port Adelaide footballer, but I guess he would have been your most recognisable footballer for a number of years back then. Yeah, he was. He was He was our main... Yeah, he was, he was the star recruit. But he's also a port boy. I mean, I he and I are the same age, and I tried out at Port Adelaide Juniors for a while. I was a local. I played. I mean, I won a junior premiership at Port Districts, which is a bit of a feeder club, a bit of a feeder team for that for for that area. And Wanganeen was just special. Like you know what he was doing at sixteen in the SNFL, the delivery into the forward line. I mean, we you know we've had some players up 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 forward lines who are you know great players. But the, I mean, Wanganen, you just, the, the, the talent, that kid, I mean, astonishing. So, yeah, that, that, those guys. But then, like, Jack Cale was the initial coach. Mm. And that was a really spiritual sort of connection, you know. And there were some SNFL players that came across, like George Fiat. Was George Fiat in that team? Jimmy Jennifer, maybe even. 
played like for those guys to be part of that team were almost there f- more importantly for their spiritual sort of assistance than they have footballers. You know, they were, like I said, they were part of those legacy of those teams that were never the most skillful teams. They were the teams that just, they just, they'd will, they'd will a premiership. Did, did father sons count uh, in, in that sort of transfer to the AFL? Like were Port Adelaide able to get dibs on, you know, the, the offspring of their premiership heroes from the late seventies and early eighties or. Yeah. So, so here's, here's a conversation that like confuses people from interstate because it, it is a national competition. So we should probably have a national agreement on how these things work, right? When we came into the competition, to, get, to be a father-son, we had to have kids to have played. The, the, the fathers had to have played 200 games of SNFL. Oh. In the AFL, it was 100. In the AFL, it was 100. Like, why? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And now you've even got this new competition starting up that's the hybrid between the Victorian and the New South Wales and the Queensland comp. And you know what they called it? VFL. <laughs> why? Like, what, what, are we, what are we doing? You know what I mean? What, why, why would you call it that? Well, like, like, it's not the VFL. I guess you could go back to the uh, State of Origin days where it was, uh, they, they called the composite team the All-Stars, right? That was uh, when you combined Queensland and New South Wales and Northern Territory, they were the All-Stars taking on Victoria yeah. and South Australia. Yeah, I mean, as an SNFL... As an SA kid, that's okay. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's well, that's yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I did. I got. I got to go to um, some of those of those interstate games at Footy Park. They were, they were. I mean, it's so funny now when you see what people get rubbed out for. You know. Oh my God! Yeah. I mean, did- I mean that was just you know Greg Phillips on Dermot Brereton and yeah, I was just. <laughs> Brutal. Johnny Platt. I mean, just brutal. And did you get into State of Origin back when it was, you know, that rivalry between oh, yeah. Victoria and South Australia? Because oh, yeah. I, yeah, I went to a number of those games. Yeah, my 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 memory of that, the, the, the biggest game I can ever remember going to, and, I, and I'm very fortunate that I've gone to a number of grand finals, but I cannot think of a bigger game I went to than the uh, Victoria versus South Australia State of Origin in 1989 at the MCG where we, in the same forward line, we had Jason Dunstall, Tony Lockett, Dermot Burton, Gary Ablett. Like it was, it was insane. I think there was like a, look, this might be a childhood (laughs) exaggeration, but I could have sworn there was at least a hundred thousand people at the MCG that day. And it was muddy and it was like just brutal game, but it was, it was like watching you know, the equivalent of, you know, the NBA, the dream team. Like it was like yes. these, like in an era of amazing full forwards, I saw all of them playing for the same goddamn team. Did you have the same feeling watching those South Australian state teams back in the eighties? Yeah. Well, we were as underdogs. We were lucky. We had a brief, we had a, we had, we had, what do we have? Kernahan, Bradley, Platten. Yep. Jarman. Jarman's. Tony Woods, Hawthorne player. He was, uh, yeah. he, was, he, was uh, he was a South Australian star for a while. I think he actually, he was a star from South Australia, came across, did his knee yeah. in the state of origin match and never quite got back to the same height. Yeah, there's always those, those, those players, you know, those stories. That's why whenever someone goes down in any, comp, you know, it's just such a heartbreaking because you, really, you just know what they've put into it. But yeah, those, yeah. I mean, your team was, in, I mean, was insane. You know, I think we're, we're always, we cheated we the underdog. Because Jason... Jason Dunstall came from Queensland. <laughs> like after that, they changed it to the All Star Composite League. So we basically took the it was South Australia versus the best players from the rest of Australia, apart from WA. I think that's how we swung it. That I'm day. shocked. Isn't I'm just I don't know how that happened. That's just amazing. I've done like, no idea. Especially when you're you know, anyway. That's okay. Great history. Really, like privilege. I'm, I I it's sad a little bit for young kids now to not have that history i'm really grateful to have had that too yeah but what we do have is a thriving national competition and it's something that i'm always surprised about particularly with victorian supporters uh when they get really parochial about other states you know and other teams like playing in grand finals or you know why is it like a non-victorian grand final i think it's great I want a strong national competition. I love hearing about, uh, you know, or discovering, you know, um, the histories of clubs uh, that I'm not familiar with. And I'm 
always surprised when Victorians are just like, no, no, we want to go back to the suburban days. You know, we want it just to be the 12 teams in Victoria. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, you say the name Rioli in Northern Territory. I mean, I mean St Mary's. What's St Mary's as a football club in Darwin has given, has given us? The joy that that club has given us of any, I mean, you know, all those players. I mean, they're just remarkable. They're just special. They're just such incredibly brilliant athletes that we're so privileged to watch. Um, and that's St. Mary's Wanderers. You know, as a kid, I, again, I was living up there with dad and my family moved up there for a few years. And yeah, just that, that club should be profiled. You know? Ben, if you ever listen to the regular episodes of Two Guys, One Cup, you know we have a saying, which is everyone should get a Rioli. Because I think the competition would be so well served if every team was mandated at least one Rioli. Maybe two, but at least one Rioli. Just think about it. Just the things, just just the thing, because you just go, what? You know, like that's not, it's not even, it's because it's, I mean, there's so much that goes into it. But yeah, it's just, because you think, no, why would they be doing that? Why? And you're watching it, you're like, why on earth are they running there? And then you go, oh, that's why they're running there. I, you know, like there are all these super trained kids. Like we're lucky to have this Rosie kid at Port Adelaide who's got, you know, and the way he moves, like I could be trying, I could, I could have gone to every great coach in the planet as a young teenager and I would never know him to run that, the way that footballer runs. But then when you look at the Riolis and the indigenous players, you just, you just shake your head and go, I don't, I have no idea how that thought of that. It's just, we're so privileged to have those people, those guys in our competition. I mean, you've got such great insight into South Australian football, particularly at Port Adelaide. When I talk to um, uh, people in WA, there is there tends to be like a go-home factor, I know, for Western Australian footballers. Like they may go to the Eastern States and play football, but it, there is a pull to come back home. Do you think that urge is as strong for South Australian footballers? Probably not. Western Australia is the most, Perth's the most isolated city in the planet. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't get any more isolated. I mean, I'm spent the last 20 years living in, in the US in New York and I'd have friends to go from New York to Perth, they have a choice. You can go around the globe this way or the other way and it's about the same. I mean, that's like, <laughs> that blows my mind, right? So the distance is, it's insane. It's really quite an astonishing and it's not something I've, I've only been to Perth once, love the place, it's great. Everyone I know from there is wonderful but but it's, it, is, it, is, it is a much more isolated city so maybe that's it. I mean, also I think but yeah, there's been a lot of players who've gone and ingrained themselves, like Buckley at Collingwood, Kernahan at Carlton. Mm. Um, you know, they've become important. You know, the Wake, one of the Wakelands at St Kilda and Collingwood. So that you know, it's important, probably from more, more of a business sense. Was there any of those names that you feel like was the one that got away? Like I always think of Matthew Pavlich. You know, uh, such a a dominant player, you know, and a South Australian yeah. boy. And I imagine there would have been overtures from both the Crows and the Power to him numerous times yeah. when his contract was up at, at at Fremantle. But is there a player like a South Australian that you're like, oh, God damn, if we could have just hung on to him? Well, there's even stories that are fascinating. Like who was – I can't believe I've dropped my name right. Um, captain of the Geelong Premiership team who's now running the Swannies. Um, you know, running the uh, Tom Harley. Tom, Tom Harley. Tom Harley was on the port list and he got cut. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like we've all like drafting is not a science, and so you're going to go. You know, you just you're going to lose. You're going to you know, if you win more than you lose, you, you've done very well. Um, but like those kind of moments, you know, the fact that you know everyone's very well talked about, but like Burgoyne had won a premiership with us, and then we thought at the club thought he, his knee wasn't going to go another year, and look at him, he's just. <laughs> he's a robot. He's incredible. He's going on to this legacy that is in, 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 in insanity for a young supporter of any club. Um, so you lose them. But then, but then again, like a lot of our Port Adelaide heroes, we take them as ours, but a lot of them came from, from interstate. You know, there are a lot of Victorians that came to Adelaide, you know, even a lot of places have come to us and we, 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 we you know, like Boke, I was lucky enough to be in the change rooms when Boke played his his last big um, it was 200th game or 250th. And he was trying to explain to his family and the changes before what he meant to us. Like a boy from Torquay who didn't go home to, to Geelong when they, you know, they, that famous thing they came over to poach him when we, that club was mm. at our lowest ebb and, and Boke stood tall. So he's, you know what I mean? Like he will always be a boy from Torquay, but for us, like 
he'll always be a man from Port Adelaide too. It's it's even more impressive in the era of free agency when you hear about players committing to be one pl- one club players. Mm. Like I think that they're as professional as the game is, and as you know, money oriented as, as as people are. I do think there is something inherently um, a poetic and, and I guess uh, spiritual about that decision to stay with your group, you know, to stay with your clan, to be to pay back the loyalty that was shown to you. You know, I think that as a supporter of a club that's been woefully unsuccessful, you know, we've had some amazing players who have <laughs> stuck by us, you know, this entire time. And, you know, while I don't have a flag, I do have memories of some fantastic players. Oh. Is there anyone at Port Adelaide that you think maybe flew under the radar to outside supporters? Is there someone who is massively underrated, you think? In, in the AFL, yeah. AFL, yeah. AFL identity. Um, you know, obviously when I spoke about Boke, about players who really held our club together, like Jackson Trengove, who, who went on to play a few years at the Bulldogs, he actually was the first person to stand up before we were really in a bad way at that point. And, and he stood up and just said, no, what, we're going to hold this club together. And, and, and like we'll always be so incredibly grateful for, for that. I mean, that, you know, he didn't have to. Boki didn't have like They didn't have to. So so those sort of players, because they just knew that, like there's this creed that Foss Williams has that we will only accept defeat. It's on, you know, web websites. It's a longer version. But basically the only time we'll accept defeat is when we have left everything out on that park. Like when we have given, and we can honestly admit to ourselves that we've given every piece of ourselves and we lose, we'll accept it. But until then, we won't accept it, you know. And so someone like Trango, you know, made the most of all his gifts. You know, to me, I'm a, like, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, we, we, I got a real, you know, soft spot for those kind of players. You know, there's a lot of players out there who are gifted and just being blessed with this insane talent. And then you see people who have just somehow put it, you know, you look at the list, like, he's played 150 games? Wow. Really? 150 games? You know, those kind of players that just yeah. keep, just keep digging deep. So, you know, those they're, they're special to me. Justin Westhoff was always a player that I kind of epitomized. Not only if he epitomized Port Adelaide to me, but he was, su- he was such an enigma. Like I thought there was just something so interesting about this guy because he was not only a utility, you could play him at either end of the ground, but he could be a match winner, but he could also do, you know, do an absolute clanger like right when your club didn't need it. You know, can you explain to me the uh, unpackage the enigma that is Justin Westhoff? Hoff, the Hoff. He's he 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 and, <laughs> he and Ebert are getting a, a good send off in their first game because they never because we were chasing the finals last year. They didn't really get that. They didn't get that send off, and it upsets a lot of people in the club. Not upsets. It's just, it's a necessity of trying to win premierships. But um, Hoff's a really special guy. Yeah, he is really really wonderful. I don't know. He keeps getting nominated for the community award all the time. I don't know if people in Victoria know he spends an enormous amount of time working with a hut street center on, on homelessness in Adelaide. Um, a lot of his time, like really, really committed to that. Um, and he's also, he has a sustainable food um, company um, and he spends a lot of time with young kids um, going around to schools about sustainable food and, and, you know, sort of non-dependence on sort of commercial you know, commercial food sources. Um, and so, so I, you know, we know him as that person and he is one of the kindest. He is just, a, just, just, yeah. I mean, he's very softly spoken. Like, have you ever heard interviews with him? He's like, yeah, well, yeah. you know, well, you took this great spectacular mark. Well, you know, the ball was there, had the market, you know, and the, but you're at the full, you're at the full forward and the full back goes, well, Kenny said, just go get the ball. So it did, you know, it's just like some people make the game complicated. And obviously there's moments when, you know, like, but if, you, if you're going to encourage these players to be themselves, you've got to accept, you know, like Kenny, I think he's done a good job of that. He said, you know, being in the media and some players who've made critical mistakes, he goes, well, you've got to back them. You know, you've got to train them, but you've got to let them be. You know, if you don't, you bring them in. I think Richmond's, you know, has covered that, even though there's a great team, clearly a great cohesive team idea. They let players be players. And I think, you know, the Hoff is, yeah, the Hoff's a, like, he's just a cult figure. He's just... Because he is, he does the most outrageous things. I mean, some of the goals he's kicked, you just go, he wasn't even meant to be near the ball. 
But it also feels like he's been playing for like 70 years. He has. Like I feel like he has. he's always been there. I mean, he kind of, and the look he has is sort of like non specific to any fashion trend or time period. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's really incredible fella. <laughs> um, but yeah, people should take a look at some of the stuff he does. I think it's Foraged, Forage, and then the Hut Street Center. Um, so again, that sort of goes along the stuff with the community work at the club. Like the club really encourages the guys to do that. And he, he picked it up and, and, and has done really well with it. Now, um, I'm sure you'll be okay with this, but can we talk about 2004 for a bit? Well, definitely, yes. Yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so were you uh, still in the States at the time or were you back in Australia? No, I was in New York. I, I've um, only recently returned. Um, I spent half of my life, I'm, I spent 20 years in New York City as a young, photog- young photo assistant and young photographer, now an aging photographer, um, and uh, came back only just at the start of the pandemic. Um, I'd come back regularly and catch a game or two, you know, enough time to see family. Um, but usually the start of the year. So I've watched, uh, I spent 20 years as a football supporter watching, I've watched football games in all sorts of, all places in the world on iPads, on back of photo shoots at three in the morning. I had my neighbors come down one, get one at four in the morning or five in the morning. And I think I hit, they knocked on the door cause I let out such a, a scream. Like I, like I died or I killed someone in my apartment and they were knocking and I was like, I just couldn't answer the door because I couldn't explain to them. Like, I'm like just screaming at the television. I don't know, at 4 in the 4.30, yeah. Well, when you're in the East Coast of America too, it's a really awkward time difference back in Australia because I've spent time in LA and it's like, yeah, it's seven to eight hours difference. You can watch a game, you know, if it's at the right time of day, it's not too bad. But yeah, you're up in the middle of the night. So can you tell me where you were when you watched the 2004 grand final? Yeah, no, absolutely. I know every second of that moment, you know, as a, as a kid. <laughs> um, so there's, there has been, and it's so funny. I've had some good stories from here. Actually, I've got a good Aussie football story. Eight Mile Creek was one of the first. There's this amazing wave of Australian bars and restaurants and cafes that have you know, flooded the planet because we do such a great job. And there was the, the original Eight Mile Creek, which is in Nolita. And Nolita sort of became this Australian New Zealand sort of hangout in a weird way. And, you know, I'm not a person who goes just to hang out with Aussies, but it was a really great restaurant. They had a bar downstairs. I even had one night in there. Where was I? I was in there one night and Anthony Rocker and I were hanging out. He's ended up pouring beers. He just, he's, he's, he's a hilarious fellow. I'm standing there with Anthony Rocker. I've got this American girlfriend. I'm trying to explain who this Anthony Rocker fellow is. He's jamming on the guitar, jumping behind the bar, serving himself, serving whoever random person walked in. And then it's at the end because when the players come back from, they finish here, they go over there and the, the baseball playoffs are on. I'm standing there and then Buddy Franklin walks in. So I'm standing in the middle of the bar with <laughs> one of the rockers and there's Buddy. And then he looks at me, he calls me Herdy because I probably resemblance physically to James Hurd. And this American girl's confused. She's like, what is going on? I'm like, don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> but I was there in downstairs in 2004 and, you know, knowing the owners, a couple of boys from, from, from South Australia, that restaurant since closed up. And I was there with a few mates and we were pretty fired up. But it's so funny because there were this, half the bar was full of fellows from Queensland who were sort of converts to Aussie rules and they had no idea what they were cheering for, you know. And there's me going like, yeah, it was, it was, you know, we, you know it's that, that legendary Brisbane team. I mean, that's one of the greatest teams of all time, undisputedly. And, um, you know, we just, we weren't sure. I wasn't sure. None of us were sure. We were hopeful. Um, mm. And then about halftime, you know, I had a mate here who was a pretty fiery fella and the, the Brisbane guys were cheering at the wrong times and he, he, there was about to be a blue. I had to like drag a mate out. I'm like, I'm not going to get kicked out tonight. We're going to watch it all. And then, you know, I'm in my, in my prison bars jumper and you know, 26 on the back. I'm a, I'm a kid who grew up with Greg Anderson. So we're proud of our mullets too. He had, he had the best. It wasn't a mullet. Yeah. That was a hairstyle to the stars. And it's coming back. It's coming back. If you're watching modern footy, it's coming half back. our club, Lockie Jones, DBJ. This is like, what you got? Okay. Good on you. Yeah. It's amazing. No. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, when Wangan is streaming in, you know, Byron Pickett is laying people out and you're just going, you know, we know in games, momentum is such a huge word. Like it's such an, un, like, I think clubs know it, people know it, but we watch it. Even like you watch that Super Bowl with Tom Brady. Against so it was Atlanta, and it's just momentum. You're just going. They're four touchdowns down, but they're going to win. It just doesn't doesn't make sense, but they're going to win. You can just tell. Um, you know, you know when the, when that dog's having their day. 
and it just started feeling like it. And it was, yeah, it was pretty special. I'm a photographer, so I take a lot of pictures. I got a roll of film of that night, mostly blurry, shaky pictures of me smiling into the <laughs> camera. And then I remember I had this thing. It's so funny the things we collect as football people. For some reason, I got given or I bought one of those footballs. You know the footballs with the they give the kids with the elastic strap on it, and it goes. You kick it, and it comes back to you. But yeah. for some crazy reason, I had one of those, and I put it in my camera bag when I travel around. I put it in my lighting gear, <laughs> and I try to kick it to American assistants, and they're like, "What?" I try to teach Americans how to kick it. It's always hilarious. But I remember like walking down at four thirty in the morning, just on cloud nine, kicking this ball through Little Italy in Chinatown, and it's coming back to me. And I just, I mean, you know, that's. Yeah, what 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 a yeah memories you'll never forget. I was actually at uh, that game, and um, I had uh, Will Ralston on last week, who's a Brisbane supporter, and I was saying to him that that was probably the last game I can remember where I felt I wasn't even on the ground, but I felt physically threatened. It was such a physical, tough game. Like you had two teams on the field in that game who played a hard inside game and were not going to back down. Like. Everyone talks about the Alistair Lynch Wakeland <laughs> showdown. That happened not far from me, and my mate saw it happening. Like saw Lynch's hamstring go, saw him reach his hamstring, and then he was like, "Well, oh, something's on. Something's going to happen here." And then, like Lynch starts swinging, and I remember like thinking, "Holy shit!" Like I know I'm surrounded by like eighty thousand people, but I feel physically in danger because these two silverbacks are going at it, and it just it was electric. And I think. Going into that game, I sort of felt like we're going to see history here. It's going to be the first of a team to win four grand finals in a row. I just did not, I did not see Port Adelaide winning it. But then to see what you guys had to do to win that game, it was astonishing. Like, like you said, uh, Wanganeen, Byron Pickett, the cars. Like it was just a, it was just a physical, brutal contest. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think we understand why football's changed. You know, I think we're at last yeah. of that era to see the change and for good reason because people's lives and their, their, their lives after football are so important. Um, and footy's still tough today. But, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, you know, the Scott brothers, you know, um, Vossi, who's, you know, one of our, been our, one of our coaches for a while, um, you know, they're, I mean, what a legendary, I mean, what a, what a midfield they had for them to break through. But people forget that we were the most, ex, you know, obviously the choker thing and Mark Williams and everything. Like we were the most successful club of that four years, yet they won three flags. So they deservedly yeah. the best team of that era. But um, there was a lot that we had coming. There was a lot underneath that that we needed to release. I mean, the release of that wasn't just 150 years and being sort of kicked around a bit and then breaking through and then no one giving us a believing in us except us. And then having a breakthrough like that. Yeah, that was that was a lot of emotion that came out, I guess. And so did you think that that was going to be the start of like a run of premierships or wh where do you place yourself in terms of the optimist, pessimist football support? You just don't know. I mean, I guess at that point I'd already sort of gotten conditioned a bit watching American sports where the turn team's turnover happens so much more. Like I think it's really interesting. Like I know basketball team, you know, I like watching basketball and some of that stuff where clubs turnover. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we thought we – but we – I think – we knew we were at the end of the run there a little bit, like because we were those, we knew our window was, I think we knew our window was, was, was fading. And that was probably maybe not a last, but it was definitely, there were some senior players who probably couldn't have gone on much longer. Yeah. Well, I guess 2007 was the reality check, right? I think I was in Africa. I don't know where I was that year. I was somewhere else. Well, it's probably probably good. <laughs> the further away from Australia you could be. Well, I had another night in a bar in New York that night. I had I had girlfriends painted in colours. I had girlfriends' friends painted in colours. <laughs> and I had every Victorian who would not had everyone else show up. Anyone who wasn't a port supporter decided to be a cat supporter because they wanted to see him win. So even people who didn't care about football, it was a social event for any Australian and their American friends. And this huge, you know, red, like I've got this primo. Yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah, we have those memories. They, they hurt, um, you know. All I've got is hurtful memories when it comes to grand finals. I'm sorry, mate. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that bounce that, you know, it's, um, 
talk about a soap opera. You got you guys could. I mean, you you, you come from a history of creative the people in the creative arts. They could they could write a soap opera for you guys better than anyone. Hundred percent. I mean, I think it's interesting with Port too because it felt like after two thousand and seven that they went into the wilderness for a bit, like attendances went down and it sort of felt like, especially from, you know, that sort of through that Melbourne prism, they could not get any airtime, you know, they could get no coverage. But where they are now with Ken Hinckley, like it's, 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 it's very rare that you get like a coach who is so uniformly liked, you know, across fans, across the media. But Ken Hinckley has managed to kind of, you know, walk that tightrope where he seems to be beloved by not only his playing group, but the media seem to love him, supporters seem to love him. No one has an issue with Ken Hinckley. He, he hasn't had it easy in Adelaide. I mean, the media in Adelaide obviously is a tough environment to be in. And he was walking. Well, I think maybe he was a victim of, like you guys, was it five years ago when you finished top four and, you know, you had all the run, he introduced that new sort of overlapping running game plan. And I think that, you know, maybe you're ahead of schedule. It happens all the time. You know, the Hawks win a flag in 2008 and then don't play in the grand final again for four years. I think maybe that's what happened. So you mentioned earlier, you know, that Ken Hinckley came out and said, well, we want to win a grand final. We want to, you know, play well in finals, uh, you know, and people thought that was a bit weird, but it's like, I also reckon there was a bunch of people who were like, good, you know, <laughs> I'd like to see this side of Ken Hinckley because I think he has this persona of being like a country bloke and a, and a country footballer, very sort of salt to the earth. Like, what's that? What's that story about Ken Hinckley? Like, he makes the players. Uh, he found some balled up tape on the ground after training one day, and he sort of called the players in and said that you, you know, you got to respect the staff here. You just don't leave rubbish on the ground. It's this kind of old school country dad kind of philosophy. He is. He is. There's this legendary three quarter time speech that he made in Country Victoria, and you, please go and find it on YouTube when he was coaching one of the country teams. It's epic. He just, it is one of the greatest three-quarter time rev-ups that you're ever going to see in any level of football. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, when Ken got that job, there were people who turned that job down. No one wanted that club. Um, and I think he really took, I think he relished that. I think he relished the fact that the underdog, because you, you want to win from being an underdog. Even if we are a successful club, we like to be the Who, who doesn't want to be the underdog? It's the sweetest story. It's a more powerful story. Um, and I have a lot of respect for what he did a couple of years. I mean, I have a lot, we have a lot of respect for him, for, for his, the way he has done it many years. It's hard. You know, he's had a hard couple of years there too. Where he turned around and realised that the senior core we have now, there's going to have to be some change. We're going to have to bring some kids in. And that could have been the end of his career. Like those three kids that we drafted who are very, we're very lucky to have those three kids. They're special, they're special players. You know, drafting is 50-50. You don't know. And Ken basically said, okay, we believe in most of our senior group, but we don't think they're going to get there. So we're going to have to make some hard decisions. We have to let some good players go, those who aren't there 100% or just feeling like they need a new start, you know, they can go somewhere and we'll bring these kids in. They, that may not have worked out for him. And he, no. he may not, he probably he wouldn't be coached now. So bravo to him for having the guts to say it's, it's the best thing for the club. I mean, they're one of the best teams to watch at the moment, like their style of football that they play. And especially because it feels like, you know, that 2004, that kind of cocky strut that Warren Treadray brought to your team, you know, early 2000s, it seems to be back. Like you've got a big power forward and Charlie Dixon and, you know, you've got all these kind of enigmatic small half forwards. Like it's and a, and a really solid midfield. You know, do you feel like you have the tools to win another flag with this team? Yeah, we do. I mean, yeah, we, I, yeah. I get the feeling you're going to you're going to going to quote Port's history here and say why else would we play? But I'd like to hear it. In your yeah, I do. I, th I think if you look, see, for so long I'd be like talking to other fans, and I'm like, you look at the numbers, and you kept like looking at the stats, and even like Ken would bring this up, or Matthew Richards and the CEO, or Chris Davies, they'd all bring him up at these press conferences. The numbers we we were we were we've been good for a number of years. We just couldn't break through. We weren't having the polish at the end. Um, and there's been some targeted recruiting. There's been some good development. Um, but please remember that the club is going to be, that team's going to win. If they win or not, it's, yes, it's going to be because of the Butters, Rosie, and you know, Ratio's going to pop in and out, those things. But it's going to be because someone like Boak, like I don't know if people realise that Boak's done in the off-season in the last couple of years. He went to LA and 
the work he did, he was kind of like, kind of on the way out. And he just said, no, I'm not going to. And remember when Dixon, a couple of years, he went to LA, he worked, he's worked the hardest in the off season than probably any other player in the comp to get himself back on. And then when Dixon was having hard years, both said to Dixon, come to LA with me. And he got, he got Dixon into shape. Dixon wouldn't have had the year last year. So having players that just put their head down and then like Darcy Byrne Jones won out, wins our best and fairest last year out of all the quality in that team. Like to us, that, mm. that best and fairest, that, for that, the DBJ to win that, that's pure Port Adelaide. Like they're the, they're the coach players. They're the ones that you're like, that ball's, you know, he's, he's not going to go down in the books of the most polished footballers, but it's not going to get past him. And if it is, you've earned it, you know? So they, they win premiership. There's, there's three questions I always ask uh, towards the end of these interviews. The first one is, what is your happiest memory to do with Port Adelaide? And it can be a game or it can be a year. Or it can be anything to do with being a Port Adelaide supporter. Oh, it's childhood. I mean, isn't it childhood? We all go back to like, you know, being a, being that thing I said earlier about being on my dad's shoulders at Albert and Oval, probably 79 or 80 when we won in Russell Ebert. And it was a, we'd lost for a few years. Being at that premiership at that after game, I was a, you know probably a four or five. I was probably a five or six year old kid. That was special. And that thing I said earlier about standing there with my dad and seeing these giants run out, just for then you know you just trans. That's football's gotcha, you know. And at the other end of the spectrum, what's been your most crushing memory to do with Port Adelaide? I mean, the fact that I even talked about 07 is hard. Is, I, was gonna, <laughs> I was just going to ignore it and pretend that I didn't know anything about it. I mean, that's brutal, you know, to have. So, you know, we don't want, we, we like to set records, not for that. Um, but, you know, that's, maybe that's, the, that's, you know, like, you know, I know they're all cliches, but, you know, uh, you know, it's, I know they're all sports cliches and they're overused, but, you know, like, you know, a fall down is only a setup for a comeback, you know? So you find out who, what you're really made of when you're at your lowest. So, so, you know, we've got to take that on board too and be humble. And I think those kind of losses do scar. A club. Oh. They take a while to get over. I mean, I know after, the replay when we came back and we got absolutely flogged by Collingwood, it was like you could just tell the next year that the players had lost something. Something was damaged. You saw it happen with Melbourne, you know, a couple of years ago when they get flogged by West Coast in that prelim. Like you've got to be careful with those blowouts because it can really do some long-term damage. Yeah, it's yeah, it's psycho- major psychological damage. Um, yeah, inner self-belief for, for a lot of players, but. You know, you gotta. Yep, yeah, you just gotta show up again. You gotta show. You just gotta show up. But yeah, they're they're hard, hard days. But um, again, you know, the club there is there as much for the club as for the community. So you can you can also come back to that. Perish the thought. But if uh, for some reason Port Adelaide was to vanish off the face of the earth, there was no Sandful, there was no AFL team. Do you think you would carry on following football? Well, I guess the world would have ended by then, wouldn't it? <laughs> We'd have nothing to worry about because we all wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably go for I'd probably go for Wanderers or St Marys. I'd go for the Darwin team. Good answer, Ben. This has been such a great chat. I've learned so much, and I, I think it's fascinating too, for, especially for anyone who's not from South Australia. So, thank you for your time. Uh, I'll let you have the last statement. Uh, predictions for twenty twenty one. You can make them as optimistic as you want, or some or as realistic as you want. But what do you see for Port Adelaide in twenty twenty one? All right. So, a couple of things on the field, a couple of things off the field. Um, look, I'm really, we're really, really, really looking forward to the development of these kids. Like everyone's got these big names, like these Dylan Williams and there's Lockie Jones, you know, and the Burgoynes and the Meads and these kids and, you know, and Marshall, like really seeing these young kids come into their own and being sort of chaperoned almost by a Dixon and a Boak and a Rockcliffe. You know, I think that development, because we know that, yes, our window's open right now, but we've got to, we've got to bring up the next generation. So to me, obviously we, we want to win. We want to win well and we want to entertain people and we want to make everyone proud. But I also do think that we've got to see the development of these kids. That's the hard thing last year. It's hard when you're winning because you don't get these kids in. And we didn't, we didn't have NSA NFL team last year because it was cut out I mean, they, because of coronavirus. We couldn't have players going back and forth. So the development of those kids, because they deserve, we, you know, we, we want them to have a future for themselves, not just for the club. It's, it's important that we all, we all succeed. So that's the big win on the field. And I'm so thrilled to be back in Australia and, and um, be able to get to go to some games. So if anyone, I'm, I am a Port Ambassador, so um, you can hit us up. And if you want to, you know, if you're an interstate visitor and you want to experience that Port Adelaide 
experience, hit me up, hit, 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 hit us up. We'd, we'd love to share that with other people because we know we're, we're lucky to have that. And then off the field, this is important, that we're trying to, um, I don't know if you saw the stuff in the media about the development of the Port Footy Club, that this is an incredible project that we're trying to get this um, community um, set up, all the, you know, basically redevelop the Albert and Oval. So there's a soccer field, a high performance centre. It'll be a big focus on Indigenous teens coming and having like schooling. Really important. And there's been a bit of challenges. I don't know, how much money do you think Geelong's got for funding from the government's funding Cadunia Park in the last 10 years? Well, it feels like every five years they put another like 10,000 seats in GMHBA yeah. Stadium. So a fair few mil. About $100 million they've been given by federal and state governments. And we've never received money from federal and state governments for redeveloping our community hub. So there's a big push at the club that we, we're redeveloping the social club, but there's a huge push to be able to get the awareness of the fact that like we're building it so that the West Adelaide basketball team and these high school team and this cricket team, we it's high performance center, but it's a community center. So for us, they're the two things, success on and off the field. Sounds good. Ben, thanks for your time. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. We are to go.